Hey, hey, hey. Hi, guys. Welcome back to Tell Me About It. It's been two long ass weeks since I was last in your ears. And I miss you guys terribly. I always do when we go on these little seasonal breaks. But we did some important recording while we were gone. Some very exciting episodes are coming your guys' way, starting with today's, of course. But I'm so excited for you guys to hear this whole season. We're going to do a solo episode next week because I just feel like there's so much I have to catch you guys up on from like my trip to what we have coming up in this season to just like the normal stuff that I want to complain to you about as I do all the time. We just need to catch up. So we'll do that next week. But let's talk about the incredible guest we have on the show this week. You may know Jeannie Mai from The Real or from when she was on Dancing with the Stars. Jeannie is a Emmy Award winning TV host and activist. She co-hosted the nationally syndicated talk show The Real for eight seasons and can currently be seen as a sideline correspondent for ABC's extreme mini golf competition series Holy Moly. She's a style expert and producer, and somewhat recently, Jeannie launched her web series called Hello Honey, which takes fans on her journey through fashion, fitness, finances, and relationships. The digital series releases weekly on Kin, Facebook, and YouTube with over 750,000 subscribers and continues to grow weekly. Let this serve as a trigger warning. This episode talks extensively about sexual abuse, so just know that going into it. If you'd like to listen to another episode, there are plenty, 70-something other episodes for you to listen to, but just know that this episode contains a lot of that material. So I don't know if you guys know this, but Jeannie revealed in September 2018 that she was sexually abused by a family member when she was 9 years old until she was 12. The abuse led to an eight-year estrangement between Jeannie and her mom because her mom didn't believe Jeannie when she first told her the truth about what had happened to her. In an episode of Hello, Honey, Jeannie detailed the years of sexual abuse, explaining it began when a cousin started to babysit her and her siblings after school. When recalling the moment she tried to tell her mom why this person shouldn't babysit them anymore, Jeannie said, I began to get angry because now I'm telling my mom that he's taking off my clothes. And she said, I don't believe you. Jeannie explained to her mom, in that moment, I remember distinctly those words, I don't believe you. He wouldn't do that. That's your cousin. This is in your head. I felt bad for myself. I even got to a point where I started to ask myself, did I imagine these things? So in this episode of Hello, Honey, Jeannie is sitting there with her mom, and they actually had reconciled years before this, but they have this episode where they're extremely raw and talking about what had happened between them when Jeannie's mom first didn't believe her and kind of like how that made Jeannie feel and the trickle effect that trauma had on Jeannie's life. And they are super honest with each other, and it's kind of like this conversation that probably a lot of people wish they could have with their mom where they finally say like, This hurt me that you did that, and this is why. And it's just, it's such a cool episode. So we'll put that in the show notes so you guys can watch it yourself because I highly recommend doing so. But that episode got me thinking a lot about the mother-daughter relationship in general and just how fraught and difficult it can be. and And it's particularly complex when both parties are traumatized in their own right. So I was so curious to talk to Jeannie about that. And she was so open, you guys. Like, she is just a warrior. And I mean, I I don't know what other word to use, quite frankly, because she's just this survivor that shares her story for the sole purpose of making other people feel less alone, which is obviously why this show exists. And she's just committed to ending the stigmatization of sexual abuse and the relationship that she has with her mom now and how far they've come since this initial explosion in their lives is nothing short of inspirational. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode. There's so much healing to be shared and experienced. So let me know what you think after you listen and let's get right to it. Here is Jeannie Mai. Hi, Jeannie. Hi. I'm so excited that you're on the show. I just think you're such a gift to women. You just tell it like it is, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I actually don't know how else to be. And to be honest with you, talking just helps you learn and develop the words to protect and express yourself. So I totally. think that's why I became a talk show host. It's really just helped my myself out. So I want to talk to you first. Can you keep it very real about something that is Fashion Week? Yeah. 
Tell me about that experience because to me, someone that also has anxiety, I know you struggle with anxiety. Yeah. Is that not the most anxiety inducing experience? First of all, it's so fast paced. Second of all, you're running into everyone, having to talk to everyone. What's that like? You are so hitting it on the head, girl. To be honest with you, fashion week is so hectic, chaotic, anxiety driven, BS on top of BS on top of BS. The flourish of the fashion and the hard work that the designers put behind their collections that they work an entire year and sometimes longer to roll out, that is real as it comes. The business and the flurry around it brings me to entire exhaustion. So I learned something. Now I used to go pack like 15, 20 outfits, do like a two or three day fitting with a stylist beforehand, nail the outfits from accessory, nails, makeup. Like we're literally doing mood boards for each look. Yeah. I didn't realize the prep that goes into it. Oh yeah. Oh, it's insane. With trunks and everything delivered. It's a multiple thousand dollar experience. You can start at like five to $50,000, depending on who you're wearing. Designers will sometimes send you things, but there's still, it's not just the look, it's the nails, it's the hair, it's the earrings, it's the liner, it's everything. Right. And then don't forget, shows are back to back. If you are the popular girl, you'll go to the best shows and then you'll book them throughout the day. Right. So you're changing in the back of Ubers in public restrooms. If you're rich, you're changing in the hotels or right. you've got situations where you can stop off in studios that people rent out for you or whatnot. So after doing so many years of fashion week, I have gotten it down to just going to the shows I really care about, like either because I have a personal relationship or I like what they've been working on or it fits the mood that I'm in right now. Yes. Only planning those outfits that I feel comfortable wearing. So I'm not just this fake bitch with heels (laughs) that are murdering me as I'm trying to look fly for um, TMZ. And then mixing in real stuff that you love to do, like walking around New York, visiting good friends, having meaningful conversations, only making time for people that you really care to be around. So I did a lot of that. And then I did a bit of fashion week and I had the best time. So I feel like it's taken you a few years to like get it down to a science where now you actually enjoy yourself. Because to me, it looks like, I think a lot of people look at it and are like, oh, I wish I could go. I wish I were invited. Like it looks so incredible. And they see the glamorous version of it. I see, it looks like the first day of school. I would be so nervous. What if I don't have someone to talk to? No, it's not the first day of school. That's too easy. No, no, no. It is your first time ever going into a networking Hollywood mixer party with a (laughs) VIP line and bouncers. And you may be on the list. Right. And you don't know the dress code because Uh. you don't know if what you're wearing is cool until you get there. You know what I mean? Like, you don't know if you're like underdressed, overdressed, everybody's gotten a whole different thing. Obviously confidence is going to set the tone. Like if you don't give a fuck what you wear and you show up and you bout it, you you rock it. it. But most of the time people need a minute to adjust to that. So it is showing up to the hottest red carpet party. Every fashion show is like that. Mm -hmm. And making sure you're talking to the who's who and you look good because there's so much BTS rolling that you could be picking your teeth. You could be sitting with your legs open. It's so much. Right. And getting back from it all and going, okay, did I even really want to be there or care about anybody I talked to. Right. It's that all at once. And like, imagine if you like think to yourself after, like, did I say something stupid? Was there yeah. food in my teeth? You know, like yes. any of those things, it's just heightened by a hundred percent, you know? And you're, you're in the same room with some of the biggest influencers. For, so from Anna Wintour or right. all of a sudden Bella Hadid might stop by, right? Might be sitting by you or right. you might run into Sierra or whoever it may be. So in the moment, you also have to have this coup to be able to navigate yourself and don't totally. look like a dumb fangirl, but also have enough respect to know who these people are. You know what I mean? Act like you belong there, but not like totally. Was this your first fashion week since Monica was born? Were you rusty? I feel like having a baby, like you're with a baby for so long, you know what I mean? And you're just around a baby. Does that make you socially rusty? No, because thank God for my late 30s, 40s, I got to a place where I just am who I am. Yeah, Like even when I'm dorky, Even when I'm wearing the wrong underwear, even if, I don't know, my armpit's not shaved, whatever it might be, like, I just own it. But I I learned the biggest thing, which is what I stand by today. It's my motto to life. Own you before they do. Mm. And what I mean by that is you got to own who you are, the good, the bad, the mistakes in your life, things that you're ashamed of, the the parts of you that you got to know. You might have cankles. You might have a crooked nose. You know, um... 
there, there are certain things about you that you just have to know, because if you don't own those things, the second someone else calls out those obvious things about you, you've given them your power. So true. And that's when you get embarrassed. And that's when you, like, if somebody's going to call out something about me that I know I don't like, whether it was something stupid I said on the reel or something I don't love about my outfit, I've got to own, like, I know these are the wrong shoes, but mm-hmm. yo, they're going to work for me today. Like, you got to just say that because someone else goes, oh girl, what are those shoes? Then immediately I feel you've taken my power and I feel like Ariel, I lost my voice. And you totally. can't let do that. And there's yeah. no worse feeling because you know what you're insecure about. Yes. So when you get to that point in your life where you own everything about you, even the stuff you don't like, even the stuff that's ugly, you are living your life. It feels like you've got a free drink past every party. It's it's the most freest place. It's true. So you guys don't know this that are listening, but I got a little sneak peek at Monaco on on video chat or whatever yes. the hell we're on. Yeah, yeah. And she is so freaking cute. She is Thank like you. so beautiful. I know that from Instagram, but just seeing her little curls, it was beyond. Oh, thank you. So I want to talk about motherhood because I called one of my best friends the other day who just gave birth. And because I haven't had a kid before, like all I really know to say to a new mom after they give birth is, oh my God, are you so obsessed with her? Did you not realize you could love someone so much? Like all that fluffy stuff. But she, because she's one of my best friends, got really real with me. And she was like, Jade, honest to God, when I first had her, I was like, yes, I'm obsessed with you. Like this is love like I've never experienced before. Then we got home from the hospital and I was like, I could straight up walk out of this house, never see my husband or my child again and be totally fine because she was so riddled with anxiety. She was so anxious and like a little depressed and her hormones were so off balance. And I know you're super open about like your postpartum anxiety. Yeah. What was that experience like? When did it set in and how long did it take you to, when did you recalibrate? Yeah. So that's an important thing to point out is that I learned that I, I have anxiety in general, especially social anxiety mm-hmm. before I got pregnant. When your hormones are going awry, you feel insane because you can tell yourself that you it's your postpartum, but you're feeling it. So it's hard to tell yourself when you're in the, in the pit of despair already. So I wish I was a bit more prepared for postpartum anxiety because I didn't know that it existed. I knew about postpartum depression, but I didn't know about postpartum anxiety. So it wasn't until I actually just Googled postpartum and feeling anxious, being worried to go out in public, being overly afraid of Mm -hmm. the public and their comments and their thoughts Mm -hmm. and being really just unsure of everything I did, even the way I put my breast into her mouth like that. I'd be like, I'm doing it wrong. That's what's causing the the milk for not coming. I'm sleeping the wrong way. I need to sleep this way. So my body will heal better. Everything was anxious and insecure. Mm -hmm. Then that's when I learned about postpartum anxiety. And when I saw that these are natural symptoms that happen and I was like, oh bitch, you had this before Mm -hmm. already. So this Mm -hmm. is just what you had before on flickety fleek. And so then I was able to be like, okay, breathe through it. Mm-hmm. Don't go out in public. Don't show your daughter until we showed her like at, like a, a few months in, I think she was like four months, you know, yeah. by the time we showed her, don't worry about what people have to say, get off the gram. That's when I was able to maintain it when I owned it. So today, my thing, like you just said, you were checking in with your friend. The best thing to ask is, yo, you're feeling all different types of ways every day. How can I be the best friend to you right now? Right. Do you want right. ice cream? Do you want me to stay out of your life? Do you want me to take you out? Do we need massages? It's so what true. What do we need? You know, and, and just take everything they want. They could be telling you the craziest thing. I had a friend who wanted me to go sit with her while she had her nails done. So the best thing moms, husbands, partners, everybody can do is say, how can I be the best supporter to right. you right now? And they might tell you it's just STFU and you go, got you noted. I'll be right over here if you need me. Because there's also such a shift. Like during your pregnancy, you're asked so constantly, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Is there anything yeah. I can do? And then the second you have a baby, 
everyone's focus goes to the baby and they're like, how's the baby doing? How's the baby feeling? And you're kind of chopped liver in a way, you know? And then not to mention there's these expectations, these Instagram perfected posts about how much they're adoring motherhood and how easy it is and how naturally it comes to them that you're comparing yourself against, you know? So you have all these expectations for how you should feel. And then when you feel less than that, or when you feel differently from other moms or like not really because there's a whole community of people that feel exactly like you yeah. that you're not seeing on Instagram, that can be intimidating, I would imagine. Absolutely. The best advice I had in that time was fuck them. That is the best advice always. Fuck them. Don't even think about them. Don't even look at them. And when I say them, that means everything. Anything that is of you not being cool with your life right now, yes. you not being cool with this amazing thing you just did. Yep. Fuck them. And so honestly, getting into that point where I literally lived in the same pajamas for no joke, maybe two and a half weeks. I'm like that, that little time. I feel like I'm going to be in the same pajamas for six months. Oh, really? No, two and a half weeks in pajamas is a lot for me because I know, I know all too well that, I mean, I had a makeover show for nearly a decade and I still do so much fashion. I know that when you feel good on the outside, it definitely does some good work on the inside. So So if I saw myself with my saggy boobs and my pajamas for too long, your mind starts to pick that up and it does bad things. So I I don't think you should go longer than that. So did you have to like fake it before you made it? Like, did you have to pretend like you felt good in the clothes that you were in, even if stuff fit differently and you didn't feel that good? I don't say fake it till you make it. I say face it till you make it. Meaning- I like that. Yes, you face everything head on until it starts to become you. So if I'm facing my issues at that time in my pajamas, I'm doing my best at that time. And I am okay with that. Then when I started to go, you know what? I'm done looking like a hot mess. Now I want to like actually look cute because I am cute. And so let me go, let me experience what that's like again. I went and got my eyelashes done. I went and got my nails done. I'd like one thing every other day, you know, for for a a month, you know, I got my roots done. My roots were like out to here. I had a friend come over and do my makeup and I just Mm -hmm. like, I didn't even have anywhere to go, but I just had my makeup on and I felt better. And I shot some videos or took some pictures at that time with the baby, you know? So if you honestly, it's not fake to go do your makeup and go get those eyelashes and things like that. It's actually, you're facing it with your best face for it. If my best face for it at the time is pajamas, that's what we do it. Right. But if my next face is like, you know, I'm ready to go get my nails done and get these claws looking nice. I can do that too. So it's, it's face it. Don't, don't fake it. Cause it doesn't encourage you to feel like you're, you're pretending to yourself. I actually felt like this is all I have time for and what I want. So I'm right. just going to go get these lashes done right. and I still have my pajamas on and I yes. feel fabulous. And you can feel more like you, like closer yeah. and closer to you. Totally. So I love your YouTube series so much. Thank and you. I think a lot of our listeners also watch it because it's not the honesty that a lot of people are calling honesty, but it's not, I call it Diet Coke honesty. This is the real deal yes. honesty. And I've loved just following your journey from before when you didn't even think you wanted to have a baby to now that you have this beautiful daughter and right. just how far you've come. So I want to start off by the times that you didn't think that you wanted a kid in general. You mean the 40 years of my life? Right. The 40 years before this point that you kind of said to yourself, I'm not cut out for this. Where did that come from in hindsight? How can you unpack that now? I know for now, I know for sure now that my trauma and my difficult childhood really made me decide that I would never want to put a kid through that. Right. Because you can't, unless I planned on being a helicopter mom and being overprotective and and everything that I didn't want when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. this child is going to be subjected to untrustworthy relatives, Mm -hmm. mean kids, bullies, bills, being poor, all the things that I didn't like when I was growing up. So I didn't want to put a kid through that. Like, why would you ever do that? And I also still didn't feel adequate with myself. It wasn't until I was actually pregnant with Monaco that I had a really crazy dream. And in this dream, I felt all of the emotions like a little too real of what is what, what it was like when my mom didn't know how to communicate with me and would punish me mm-hmm. the way her dad did, you know, mm-hmm. with words that you shouldn't always say to kids or 
an anger that was a little too far, you know, or at nine years old when my cousin, who I really trusted and thought was the coolest person to teach me the cool things in life, began to touch me in a way that I didn't know what to do about. Right. And it continued for years after that. All these things happened in my dream and it brought these emotions that overwhelmed me so much that I realized the reason why I didn't want a kid is because I didn't think that I was healed Mm. or good enough to be a mom. I thought that I am so messed up. I'm so jacked up. I still am going through counseling. I'm still griping with these issues with the way my mom raised me or the way that things turned out for me. Like, why did that happen to me? I'm Christian and I have no forgiveness in my heart for that person. Even to this day, I don't feel like I'm a good person. Why would I ever want to raise a child? I don't have that right. You know, totally. And in this dream, I actually met Monaco and I met Monaco through a very spiritual, emotional bonding. And she woke me up with her kicking and that truly changed my entire understanding of who I am, who I'm destined to be, and what magical love Monaco and I can create because of this understanding that I have, because of my pain. So today, already now, we have the dopest relationship. I explained to her everything. If I'm putting her to bed when she's crying and she doesn't want to, I explain to her why this rest will help her out. Mm-hmm. I, when I'm putting on my makeup and she's sitting there watching me, I explain to her why mommy is excited to go take on this meeting or be on this podcast. And so she's going to gloss up her lips these way, whatever <laughs> yes. it may be. Like we already have such an awesome relationship. Aww. And also because of that, and because of my show, Hello, Honey, my mom and I have a great relationship too, because I was able to own me before she does own me before my shame does. And I called her out on things and I had a big talk with her, which actually made me feel more confident that she is going to be a good grandma to my baby today. Because if she didn't understand some of the things that she didn't do the way it should have been when she was younger, I don't want her to repeat those same mistakes with Monaco today. So I don't fault her for it at all because she's a refugee mom from Vietnam, came here two years before I was born, didn't speak the language. The same anxious party I described to you in one fashion week setting was her whole life. Like you arrived to the party of America and everybody's doing things a certain way. Everybody's dressing a certain way. Everybody's talking a certain way and you don't even understand them. So I understand she raised me with what she knew, but that isn't going to continue. I am here in life to break generational curses. I absolutely will not let my family continue in the ways that they knew then, now. And that includes me being open and honest with them so that we communicate about things and learn the right way to go about things. Or we go through therapy and we talk out things, which I also did on my show. Yes. Getting a Vietnamese woman who thinks therapy is for crazy people and doesn't want to use the money to pay for self-help is a huge thing in my culture. So I think that was healing not only for the two of you, but for millions of people watching. And that's what I really want to focus on in talking to you today is breaking those generational chains and ultimately finding forgiveness with the parents that might have wronged you in the past. So I want to talk about that in the context of the abuse that you endured in your adolescence, right? It happened from when you were very young, correct? Yes, yes. It happened from the time that I was nine till 12. Of course, that was beyond traumatic what happened to you during that period of time. But there was another layer of the trauma, which was when you first told your mom what this man was doing to you. When did you first tell her? Oh, I told my mom around 11. Okay. Around for the first 11. Time. And yeah. And when this person was still babysitting you, right? Okay. She didn't believe me. It was a combination of. No, it's in your imagination. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen. Maybe you should stop joking around and playing in certain ways, Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, suggesting that I brought that upon myself. Just all the things that now as a mom and as a person who's met so many type of people out there, I've seen how people are when they don't know how to respond. And they just kind of pull as many excuses to the table as possible in order to, you know, put a rug over the mess. And that's also an area that 
people in Asian culture need to be aware of because it can cause a lot of damage, obviously. And it's just, it's customary to just act like everything's okay. Don't let other people see that we don't have it together because that's a shame to the family. So things like that were all cultural and inexperienced. My mom was also in her teens when she had me. How old was she? When she finally gave birth to me, I always get it wrong, but I think she was 18. Okay. Yeah. Wow, a baby herself. And I know like through your show that she suffered her own dose of childhood trauma with her father. Yes. Yes. She had it pretty bad with with my grandfather Mm -hmm. who was an ex-military man during the war in Vietnam. So Mm -hmm. already you've got PTSD to a whole nother extent and you've Mm -hmm. got a father who was trying so hard to protect his family in a time where they had to flee the country. That's, that's a lot to pack up. Right. So there were a lot of reasons why he was not healthy to my mom and my mom to this day, that's something she's never, I mean, she's never been able to forgive. They have not talked since I was maybe 10 years old. So, you know, like I said, my goal is to break generational curses. I think every family has them. And for me, I'm well aware of them. And thankfully, what my mom has inserted in our family is that ability to call shit out. Right. So I know like because of what your mom endured, you know, I think when we become parents, it's we think we're breaking certain chains because we're not doing to our kids what happened to us. But there are blind spots. You know, there are new ways that your children can be traumatized that you're not paying attention to because you're so hyper-focused on righting the wrongs from your own childhood. Yes, so yes. when so your mom started to have to work more. You had yep. this ba- this babysitter, this cousin that took advantage of you and manipulated you. And so you came to your mom the first time. She said, "I don't believe you," or maybe that you were being suggestive, or maybe you were playing in a different way, or you know whatever, invalidating your experience. Did you try again after that to tell her? I didn't try again until it was my late thirties. It took that time to go through counseling forgive myself first, forgive the fact that I felt mad that I didn't say anything when it happened. I I felt embarrassed that I didn't have the words. I'm a talk show host today and I don't even have the words to stop somebody when they're violating me. Like I went through so much shame Mm -hmm. because as my career was growing and exploding around my twenties and I'm getting nominated for Emmys and I'm being, you know, complimented for my hosting or being able to get women to be authentic about them, their, their problems to get a makeover. I couldn't even help myself when I needed it most to the point that I got in the way of my dating. I got in the way of my intimate life. Like that's a lot of embarrassment to carry until I was in my thirties. And it took a lot of work on myself and, and therapy to understand that person's emotional response to you is not about you. Yes. A person's emotional response to you is their POV on life, their own fears, their their own lack of things that they needed at the time. Mm -hmm. So if I really look at everybody who's either abused me or didn't respond the way I needed and reflected it on them, what, what they were going through, it, it helped me remove myself from the equation to go, okay, So now how do I make myself whole again, removing the fact that I did something to cause that on top of myself? Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to really free myself. And that's when I also wanted to free my mom because I knew that she had shame for the way that she had handled it. I knew that she carried a guilt and a distance between us because we, we, she knew she messed up in that area as a mom, she didn't protect me. So it was on my show, Hello, Hanei, that I asked her, I'm going to be real with you. I'm still very jacked up about this. Mm -hmm. You have a big part about it. But I don't think you know what you truly did that was wrong because I'm not mad at the way you handled it. I'm mad if you continue on today like it never happened. That's true. And that you don't own what could have been said today. So if we can talk about it on my YouTube show Mm -hmm. and you're comfortable for us to address it, let's close this chapter and let's heal it. Right. And you know, are you, are you okay? Okay. No, my mom is actually standing here trying to say (laughs) goodbye to me. 
Bye, hello. Bye. Can I say hello? Hello, Hi. hello, hello. How Hi, are you? Joey. It's so nice to meet you. The, the crazy her. thing is, I love her long hair. I am. <laughs> I'm an introvert. She's an extrovert. Extroverts in the house. All extroverts watching this. Yeah. Y'all love to talk about yourself. Yes. Y'all love when <laughs> you are brought up in like. We're talking about her and yes. she comes like I see her from like the I distance, like it. behind the tree, <laughs> behind the couch, all of a sudden behind like this computer. And she's like, you talk about me. No, I and then love now she's, this. And now she's changing her glasses to come and just, hi, how you doing? Because I heard my name. Yes. Good thing you guys know about me. That's good. I'm glad. <laughs> You're going to see that. You're amazing. Mom, yes. So mom, say hello. We're talking about you and we're talking about our relationship as mother and daughter today. Would you say that we're... A lot stronger today. Yeah, than yeah. Before, the, the more we fight, like we almost kill each other, the more we get stronger. It's true. You have to get through it. You have to face it in order yeah. to get stronger. But mom, would you See, say I like you already? The feeling is mutual. Trust me. But mom, we got a symbol. Yeah. Would you say though that in the last ten years of you and I? learning to talk about our problems, right. to not just hide it, to not just ignore each other for months at a time, to actually go through therapy. Has that helped you learn how we should work as a family compared yeah. to when you were a kid with a Y? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. When you go therapy, first of all, I don't like it because it costs too much money. Mm -hmm. But when we go through the problem, you know, and they saw the problem and I realized money is nothing. Yeah. Right. Are you the first person to go through therapy in your family? That you yes. know? Yes. Wow. We're still and working on the rest of the family members. Yeah. Yes. There. Now you can tell them how well it worked out for you guys. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. It's good. It's helped a lot. That's yeah. amazing. I'm coming over to your guys' house. This I'm like meeting the whole family. I love this so much. It's amazing what you guys have going on. And now what's even better is that you've come so far. It's not like there's always been this perfect picture. You guys had to get through some real stuff, but now right. that love is so palpable and everyone can feel it. And it's because you guys had to go through that and get so real with each other and learn from each other. It's a really beautiful thing. And it's important to mention that a lot of people's moms, parents, siblings, whomever they want to go to therapy with, aren't willing to do so. So like the fact that you were open to it, despite it not being a part of your upbringing, the fact that you were willing to go on this journey of therapy that was unfamiliar to you, it, you both are really lucky that you were both willing to do that. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's inspiring to me in my own mother-daughter relationship. Oh, thank you. That's good. I think having a therapy session with your mom by you your mid-30s, that's definitely something every woman should do. I did not talk to my mom about things because I wanted her to apologize. That's something she did on her own. But I wanted to talk to my mom about, okay, moving forward, here's what I wish you could have done. Mm -hmm. And just hear me out. And just giving... People don't understand. Sometimes it's not always the apology. Sometimes it's also just giving people space to be heard. Yes. That also. And so you can have compassion and empathy for where the other person came from. But so many people, and I'm mentioning this again, don't have that opportunity to like have that face-to-face -face interaction where you can develop that kind of empathy and compassion with your parent. Because she loves you more than anything in the world, your mom, you know? So she's never trying to hurt you. It's like yes. purely out of just the way that someone else was brought up in a different cultural experience exactly. in a different time. Yeah. And it's hard. That's where mother, daughter, you know, it's a it tale as old as time. No. Yeah. Anyway, I got to go. I love your makeup. Look at you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Thank um, you. Bye. Oh, yeah. my God. She, I mean, that just made my week. I literally want to meet mom and I forever. We're always together. Uh, and I really want to cover Monica with as much family and culture as possible. That's like really, really important to us. So she gets a good dose of what it's like to be Vietnamese with me. And then when I take her over to his family's house, she gets a good dose of being a black girl, even a Southern girl. Yes. No. Oh my God. What a lucky girl. Like seriously. Yeah. And so much love. Like so, so, so much love. Like Thank you can you. feel it. Like I said to your mom, you know, some, one of the reasons I admire your and her relationship so much is because of what you had to endure to get here, you know? So I know that you guys didn't speak, right, from 16 to 24, was it? 24. It was actually really, I mean, we had a broken relationship since I confronted her. So about 11 to 24, to be mm -hmm. honest with you. Right. But we 
didn't speak for all that time. And even when we did, after I, I communicated with her and connected with her, it was just very holidays only. Mm-hmm. Or if I needed you to go pick up my car or to do something right. you know, for one another, it was not a mother-daughter relationship. By that time, I had already kind of raised myself. Mm-hmm. At 17, I was I had my own apartment. I was paying for it. And I was working two jobs. I was doing makeup at a gentleman's club in mm-hmm. San Francisco. And then I was doing makeup by day at a Mac counter in Valley Fair. So I had bills. I had jobs. I I was like, I don't need you, mom. Like you weren't there for me when I needed you. So I'm gonna figure it out myself, which is not always the healthiest way to. Right. You had to grow up really quickly. A thousand percent. Oh, the minute she said she didn't believe me, I was like, okay. I'm alone in this world. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. So what calluses built up over that time? Did you think you would ever reconcile with your mom? Did it affect your relationship with the rest of your family? Mm -hmm. Calluses that built up is number one, you are only for you. There's nobody else with you. Like I, I legit thought that you cannot trust anybody in this world. That if your own mom could be like that, anybody else could be like that. Your employer, your partner in life, your date, your significant other, your love, nobody. So I grew very tough and untrusting. And then what's crazy is it started to change. I actually started to become a people pleaser and super agreeable. And Mm. I learned that that was also a reaction from my trauma, that people will actually have freeze, fight, flee, or fawn as an emotional response to, to anything in life. And mine was always fawn, which was, okay, okay, what can I do to help this? Insert myself into things to be like the fixer. Okay, guys, I, I want to help. I want, I want to make this okay. Oh my God, that girl's not talking to me. What did I do? Why doesn't she like me? Let me go deliver some flowers or cancel my plans to go and try to mm-hmm. hang out with her. I became the biggest fawn and that really damaged me even further because there are people that you can't trust in life. There are people that are to damage you. Not all people are like that. But when you bond, there's actually people out there that know how to prey on you. Oh, yeah. No, like I had a period in my life where I was a total fawn. And I can tell you firsthand just how damaging it is because you just think your your entire self-worth is contingent upon people's approval or liking of you. And it's a never ending cycle. You will never please everybody. There's actually people out there that know how to take advantage of women like you. And they will use that to get whatever they want out of you. And that really did more damage to me. So I really had to find myself. And that happened in my thirties. In my thirties, I was in a marriage that was, that was falling apart. Mm -hmm. And I was really going at it with my career. Our talk show was doing so well. Mm -hmm. I was defining who were my friends. And I think my divorce really helped me speak out loud about what I wanted, what I need, and just hear me. And that's when the real work began. Yeah. Because you could no longer outrun your trauma. Like at one point you learn, I'm exhausted from running, but it's still right there. Yes. And now it's such, oh my God, it's such a much more freeing place. I'm not afraid to say no. I love saying no. I I love saying no. And I also love that I have the words to be able to tell people, I really don't have the energy to do that. Mm -hmm. Can I support you in other ways? Can I support on social media? Can I, can I take you out for dinner next week? I love that. I know the words that has probably been the most powerful tool that I've gained recently because I regretted for 20 years of my life, 30 years of my life, why I didn't know what to say back then. When Mm. that was happening in that moment from nine to 12 years old, why didn't I know what to say? Right. You probably didn't even know what was happening to you. Right. Why didn't I I, I powerfully stand my ground, say the words to scare this person away, Mm. to scare them from harming me or violating me? I didn't know the words for years. And Mm. even in show business and Hollywood, you kind of are a yes person. 
you know, especially when you're starting out your career. If somebody says, Jeannie, can you do this show for this pay, stay up till this long hours of the night without glam, without wardrobe and your own car service and fly yourself there? Hell, can you do it? Because you're going to get a really big spot on this network. You're a yes man. Right. And we promise we'll say that you're really easy to work with and you're a woman. Yes. And this will maybe connect you with this other person that you're going to be in the room with. There are so many falsities in, in Hollywood just because that's the nature of the beast. But on top of me already becoming a fawn from my trauma, right. I'm teaching myself these habits in an industry that's like, I'll do anything to build my career. Yes. The good thing is I never in my life felt I had to give up the most precious thing to me that was violated, which is anything intimate. Mm-hmm. Like I never, ever, ever had to run into that. And even when I had situations where I came across people, men who want to try you, mm-hmm. I knew very clearly how to give the the pivot and the, the body language to be like, you, no, you, you don't do that with me. That's not going to end well. It's really interesting that you just said that because that's exactly what I was going to ask you. You know, when you're in this fawn role and you have been sexually abused, it probably would get fuzzy between I want to make this guy like me or you went through something so traumatic in such an intimate way. And then being a human being and being an adult is so much of it is about sex and relationships and all of that. I definitely two things happened for me. I can't speak for every person who's gone through sexual abuse, but Mm -hmm. for me, I immediately learned how violated she was and how much I needed to protect her from Mm -hmm. anything but safe. Mm -hmm. And so to be honest with you, I didn't have a wild streak of partners Mm -hmm. and that I'm really proud of today. I'm really proud of. But I did know how to enjoy intimacy with people so that I could still go there. And intimacy means emotional connection, right? super close knit cuddling and, and, and being able to enjoy lying together and exploring each other without having sex. Like there's so many things that I learned that you didn't have to do because I kept her in a vault. Like she was the queen on the chessboard right. all the way in the back with a Millie Rooks and you could not get to her. So I am really proud about that. Like that is something because I learned my value after she was violated. Mm-hmm. And even though it was a little too late, it protected me for the rest of my years because I never wanted to make myself feel that way again. Right. So a lot of people that either had the childhood that you had or had other traumas in their childhood or feel like their parents wronged them in some capacity, once they left home, they wouldn't turn around and try to repair the relationship or repair the past. Was there a specific moment that you remember where you said to yourself, I got to go back and revisit this with my mom. We have some unfinished business and I need her help in healing this. It's a very spiritual encounter that happened in my dreams. And it woke me up wanting to confront my mom Mm -hmm. and to tell her that she was wrong. Mm -hmm. She was absolutely wrong. And if you are living and breathing today, that means you're still my mom. Mm -hmm. And if you're my mom living and breathing, you don't have the right to live and let our disconnect cover what you did. I'm going to call you out and let you know that you're wrong, but you, then you are going to continue being my mom. Right. So not only did I go and confront my mom. This is at 24, right? This is at 24. Yes. Not only did I go and confront her and she knew I was right. We didn't go deep into it. It was just, you are not being a mother right now. As you're one of your three children, you are not being a mother right now. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to pull yourself together and to start acting like a mother. And we're going to figure out what that means. But right now, own that you have fucked up so that we can move through that, look at each other in the eye as women today and move on and figure out now, what does that look like to be a mom to me? And what does it look like for me to be a daughter to you? And that happened. So in that day, not only did I become a really firm believer of God and live with a different sense of purpose and with a much lighter feeling, knowing that there is a purpose for me out there and that these aren't just things that are happening to me to slam me down and, and, and to bury me. It's actually, these are meaningful moments in my life that are, that are, I can use to 
equip myself and learn what kind of woman I want to be. And that's what led me to where I am. So from that moment on, I became a firm believer and I started to design what it looks like to be mother and daughter. Mm. And that led me to my forties where I said, you know what? Let's talk about that night. Right. Right. Let's talk about that night that I told you. Let's talk about what should have happened. So did you, I think a lot of people, when they think about like confronting a parent or, you know, healing those wounds, there's a certain expectation that sometimes can come with it. Like I expect an apology. I expect her to believe me. Did you at the time consciously say to yourself, she might still be in the same space that she was when I was 11, right? And were you shocked to find that she wasn't? I knew from therapy, I knew that if I was going to confront my mom, I had to be very realistic about my expectations, knowing I am not doing this for gratification from her. I'm not doing this for an apology. And I had to play out worst case scenarios. Mm -hmm. My mom is hands down the most petty crocker, stubborn, (laughs) can be a B-I-T-C-H if she wants to. Like she's, if I told you some of the things that she has against my family members where she's not talked to my uncle for like, I think she's going on seven years. My grandfather, we know about that. We understand it. But I mean, this is how she is. She'll cut you off. It's done. Totally. Friends that have been like calling me like, why won't your mom mom talk to me more? I'm like, I don't know. If you burnt her, she's done. She is petty, petty crocker. Right. So I knew that if I confront her, it could go way left. But I needed her to hear through my words, which I worked on for about a year before I confronted her. I worked on choosing words of love to get her to understand what she did wrong. Mm. And to get her to understand why, as a woman, as a mom, as a Vietnamese communicative person, you cannot ever think that what you did then should be what you should have done today. Right. So I am here to help you as another woman to say, this is what you should have done in the future. And this is what we need to do with women worldwide who tell us that they've been abused, who tell us that they've been violated. This is, th- this is the only protection we have is women. So as from one to another and of blood, I can't let you go on thinking what you did was okay. Mm-hmm. So that's what that was about. Right. That's all it was meant to be. When you watch the, the episode on Hello Honey, you see that my mom, which was very human, she it immediately unlocked the pressure that she had felt for years, knowing that it wasn't right, knowing that she didn't know what to say. And knowing that she's running from it every time we avoid the, the conversation. So I felt like just like a soda bottle when it's been shaken up so yes. much. That was like 30 years of her just being shaken up with right. so much pressure bubbling up that she failed as a mom mm-hmm. in her eyes. I unleashed it and mm-hmm. she was able to. Right. And that's what we saw. And that's something right there. From that day forward, I looked at. Olivia Mai as a mother. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I saw her as my mom because she was human. Yes. And that there is, I think a lot of us can think of, it's maybe not such a potent moment, but you can think of a general time where you stop hating your childhood. You stop hating your parents for what they couldn't give you. You stop blaming them so much and the disdain. And you start to be able to be like, whoa, I'm an adult now. My life's hard in certain ways. You weren't given certain things that I had, you know, and you start to be able to build some compassion, some understanding, some forgiveness, you know? Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the woman you were in your 20s and 30s and the decisions that you made both in your relationships and in your life at that time? I see a woman who was beginning the process of her healing. And in that time, the fawn response was on full cycle. So I, when I look back, I absolutely understand the decisions I made, but I also knew what they were coming from, which is why it's so important today to heal from your trauma Mm -hmm. to at least if you, you don't have to actually, and again, we just talked about healing as a process. It doesn't mean you're going to, it's going to happen in 30 days or overnight, but it means that it's going to take some time to own your truth Mm -hmm. 
you have to own, wait a minute, I have a really abnormal response to people. And I keep messing up relationships because of that. Mm. One thing that God will do that I think is an amazing opportunity for us to see when we're jacked up is he will repeat the same patterns in your life until you get it. So if you get out of yet another relationship with a bonehead Mm -hmm. or a punk Mm -hmm. that you're like, why do I keep looking for these guys? Well, boo, let's sit down and look at this. Let's, let's actually ask this question and let's actually get some answers. Right. Why do I hate my job again? Right. Well then let's look at this. Let's look at what kind of things you're doing to yourself to pad yourself because it's comfortable, but it's actually not working for the destiny destiny you have in front of you. Right. Why do I keep getting in fights with my friends like this? Why do I have to block off another friend and, and let them go after there's been so much history? Mm-hmm. There are unhealthy habits that happen in life that will leave you feeling away that you do need to go back and go, okay, you know what? I'm bringing this upon myself. So, so what is life trying to tell me here? And, and, and just a little pivot can make the world of a difference. A hundred percent. Now that really resonates with me. And it makes me think like, what are your feelings around the word and the term victim? And did you see yourself as one? Do you think it's a bad word? Do you feel like it represents what you went through? I don't think there's anything wrong with the word at all because you are a victim until you become a survivor. Mm. You absolutely, when somebody does something to you, boom, you're out here wounded. But remember again, what we said earlier, everybody is going through something and that is going to elicit a response that has more to do about them than it does to do with me. Mm -hmm. So hurt people, hurt people. That's the most simplest way to look at it. But heal people, heal people. Mm. And that includes yourself. Jeannie. Oh my gosh. Yes. You're right. Yes. So when you're a victim, you will sit in that victim shame and guilt and those lifestyle choices and those patterns that will continue to repeat until you go through the process of healing. And that is when you become a survivor. I love that. So now, as many of us know, you are married to Jeezy and you guys have a beautiful daughter together. I'm just really curious about like the healing that you had to do before you got into this relationship to set you up for this kind of success. Taking better care of myself, realizing that I had body dysmorphia and Mm. I was very unhealthy with the way that I was carrying my weight. So I gained 20 pounds. It looked like not dating and just taking time for me and looking through my phone and actually choosing which relationships that gave me wings, not weight. Mm. It looked like saying no more often, Mm. not going to parties because I thought it would get me in the right rooms or make me closer to this friend who's not really my friend. It looked like creating the type of silence around me so I could hear my heart speak. Mm -hmm. I realized I had so much noise around me all the time, whether it was the noise of comments on my Instagram or the noise of what I should be doing or my own noise of insecurity. When I silenced that and I was able to hear how I sound, I actually heard my spirit sing. And that, that was such a good place. And then from there, this really wonderful orb of healthy joy and peace that I created around myself led me to meeting Jeezy where our vibrations spoke grown. It spoke healthy love. It spoke, let's take our time and not rush this. It spoke, wow, this feels so good and so safe. What does life look like together if we actually removed all the things we'd said in the past The I would never do this. I would never do that. And actually just looked at what could we grow from this healthy seed that we're planting of honesty and truth. And from that came a marriage based on completely consensual understanding for what we wanted in a relationship and a little girl that I never planned on having. And this doesn't stop here. We still go through counseling today. Of course, of course. We still have 
work on our vision board that we're building Mm -hmm. and a lot of questions on how to handle things. And we actually also unearthed a lot of more things that we realized we hadn't healed yet. But the blessing of it today is that you are doing it now with a partner and you are speaking from a foundation of honesty, complete honesty, calling one another out in a safe space and committing to each other to help heal each other in this process that we call life. Yes. So we've talked about this a few times on the show, just this concept of you not being able to give another person, whether that be the person that you're in a relationship with or your child, you can't give someone something that you're not able to give yourself. So I want to talk about that in the context of safety, because I know you've said in the past that you didn't feel safe. And that was kind of, that was some of the reason that you felt like you weren't ready to welcome a new life into this world. How have you redefined safety in your adulthood and given yourself that security that you longed for as a child? Absolutely. I am so sure about what safety looks like, sounds like, feels like, that I will not be around anything ever again that doesn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. And that means work opportunities. That means friendships. That means rooms, just even room someone's house that I walk into. Conversations. If a conversation doesn't feel safe for me, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Like much respect, but I know exactly where the door is yep. and I'm good with closing it myself. Yep. That's what safety looks like. Safety means it's vulnerable. You can be vulnerable. You can tell somebody that you feel uneasy and it's not going to be used against you. And it also means it's communicative. Even if you don't know what the vibe is, you can talk about it until it lands and you go, okay, I get what this is now. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's very important because when you're in your twenties and your thirties and you're making decisions to hire somebody or a decision to work for somebody or a decision to move in with a roommate. Mm-hmm. or a decision to go hang out with somebody or let them borrow things that are personal to you or whatever it may be right. as relationships grow, you got to understand what your definition of safe is and you cannot compromise. Yes. So I wonder, you know, as someone who I look up to in this field of healing yourself and believing in yourself enough to welcome a new child into the world, What do you say to women who feel like I'm too mentally ill? I don't forgive people that hurt me in the past. What do you say to those people who don't believe that they can be a mom, let alone be a good mom? Oh my gosh. I would say to every one of those moms, you've already got the answer within you. It's called your intuition. Mm -hmm. And the one thing about a woman's intuition is it is the most efficient, effective, and promising tool we are all built with. But just like a muscle, it's up to you to train it and use it well. This is my test right here. Because as soon as I say that, some women are like, I don't know if my intuition is really that keen, or I don't even know if I have one. I'm going to ask you this right here. Mm -hmm. At this very moment, think back to all of the decisions in your life that didn't work out great for you, whether it was a bad boyfriend, a bad job, think about all the bad things that happened in your life. At some point in those moments, did you know that it wasn't good? Mm -hmm. Did you know or get at least a little bit of a cold shoulder or at least a little bit of a red flag that like, I don't know if this is a good idea. Yeah. All of those decisions, the apartment you shouldn't have moved into, the job you shouldn't have taken, the guy you shouldn't have dated, the person you shouldn't have been with, whatever it might be. Did you feel an inkling? That was your intuition every single time saying, I told you so, but you didn't listen. So the good news is your intuition is built within you. She, she's your homie. She's there. Right. You have to silence the noise to let her speak. And every time you move on her speaking, You sharpen her like a knife. And when that knife is primed and and just like cutting through everything, like like it's air, that's when you are going to walk through life with such ease because your intuition makes the choices for you. Mm -hmm. I love that. So it's actually a really 
good, fun exercise to do with life is to just, you have options all day, whether or not you should go to that party, whether or not you should do that workout, whether or not you should say no to that job so you have more time. Flex that intuition and let let her speak and you will hear her answer and you will see that pivot you needed to see your life change and move differently. Right. God, I mean, that's a perfect place for us to stop. I had chills throughout this whole interview. Thank you so much for like sharing yourself with us and you're just unbelievable. Thank you for the questions. You asked such thoughtful questions and I really appreciate this interview. You're an angel, seriously, I can't thank you enough. Thank you.